I'm Kevin Davis, and this is the Catholic Family Podcast, and I'm very happy to be joined by a very good friend of the show. That is Intro Ebo. He has been on many times covering uh, many different topics, but typically the occult. Um, it's, it's one of those things that's it's rather a dark topic, I guess, by its nature, but it's something that really, you know, his, you know, perspective and, and his goal is to bring to light you know, the occult so that people can see, you know, see it for what it is. And that today we're going to try to do that with the occultism of the Nazis. Now, this is something that we both know is a very touchy topic for some odd reason. Um, so we know that the comment section is going to be filled with pretty much craziness, but we're ready for that. Um, and please, um, after you listen to the show, go over and check out his blog at introeboadaltaridei2.blogspot.com. We will, um, of course, add that link to the show notes. It's uh, he, he, he always has a blog, new blog on Mondays. Uh, it covers all sorts of things from, from theology, philosophy, culture, and, well, the occultism of the Nazis. So, introeboad, as always, it's a pleasure having you on, and I'm, I'm excited for this topic. Thank you for having me on yet again, Kevin, and I'm glad we're exploring uh, the topic of the occult and everything because it really is an occult invasion. And the occult didn't just uh, come onto the scene. It came onto the scene really in the wake of Vatican II, mm -hmm. uh, the resurgence which we have been talking about, but it goes before that. Uh, it just didn't start immediately after the council. And there has been the occult going back, well, going back to the beginning. When I say the beginning, I'm talking about going back basically after the fall of humanity. Because there have always been those that are inside of uh, the side of evil and the side of uh, the occult. But uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is specifically in reference to the uh, movement of the Nazis and the rise of Adolf Hitler. It's a very touchy topic because, as you know, uh, and sad to say, there's many, especially young people, and Gen Z, late millennials, who attribute a, a, a good status to Adolf Hitler. And they talk about questioning the narrative. You know, that's that's the hip thing now. Everything's a narrative and right. you have to question the narrative. Well, you know, that, that Hitler really was a good guy. And in traditionalist circles, you'll see them sometimes, they sign their emails with 8-8. Now, eight is the eighth letter of the alphabet, so eight eight is short for H H or Heil Hitler. Jeez. Oh, yeah, and, and and some of them even talk about it. You see them on X talking about how and they show a picture, and next to this young man's uh, on his nightstand, there was a statue of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Bible, and Mein Kampf. Oh man, these things just do not go together. And what I'm hoping to bring forth today is exactly why. Uh, two things I'd have to say up front. Number one, uh, there's a lot of people who uh, will not want to hear what is said here because they believe uh, we're living in a matrix-like universe. I'm referring to the motion picture, the matrix where everything was, and now we get the uh, we get the term red-pilled, you wake, you wake up to what's really reality. Um, they have it where we're living in a world where nothing uh, is as it seems to be. And it's kind of scary. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have people come onto my blog who are flat earthers, uh, you know, who uh, believe that the, you know, geocentrism is a dogma um, and, and Adolf Hitler is a good guy. And, and all at once, uh, you know, I've actually had people comment that, well, your theology is good, but you're too mainstream. What does that mean? Uh, you know, if you believe anything that's mainstream, it's not true. Right. And the only one that has uh, the right knowledge are people who are, you know, uh, out you know, with strange ideas. Those are the people. Now, there's nothing more mainstream than Catholicism. And I, I wish it was mainstream once again. That's what we all want. I would like to go to my uh, local parish <laughs> and not have to travel miles and miles to get to a traditionalist chapel. Right. Uh, there's nothing more mainstream than that. So, uh, but, but this is, that's that's one mindset. The mindset that... Everything is not as it seems to be. And anything that you get, uh, you know, they'll immediately try to discredit anything that you bring in. Uh, well, letters that priests wrote, uh, you know, talking about, you know, well, they're forged. Right. They're forged letters. Uh, you know, um, they'll, they'll cherry pick quotes from Adolf Hitler, and they're out there. See, he said, he said Christianity is great. 
See, and, and, and they'll go on and on. You, you Somebody came on one time and wrote on my blog that uh, uh, Maximilian Colby, I'm not going to call him a saint because unfortunately there was no true pope that canonized him. I do believe he was a very holy priest. So that he was a friend of the Nazis. I don't know, you know, you know, and uh, Hugh, uh, Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty, if you ever saw the great movie, which I would recommend to everybody, The Scarlet and the Black, mm -hmm. uh, th th that was historical revisionism. Oh, boy. That that didn't happen. And, and so that's that's a big problem there. And the second thing is they try to discredit uh, sources. If, if anyone uh, has uh, any kind of if the person is Jewish or has any Jewish relation, anything they say or anything they write, regardless of how scholarly it is, must be uh, brushed aside as uh, prejudiced, uh, biased, and incorrect. All right, and we call this, and in, in, uh, we call this the genetic fallacy that something is wrong where it comes from. So uh, the Nazi apologists will always try to do this. They'll see, I've actually had somebody say that a, a source that I used, that the author is one is one quarter Jewish. I mean, what does that mean? So let's say that's true. Uh, that means that everything he writes and everything he says is somehow wrong. Uh, I'll give you another example of how it can happen. Uh, you know, it could be easily flipped on traditionalists. Uh, I remember two pro-abortion women here in New York City who were listening to a nun uh, who was a biologist and taught, uh, and, uh, taught actually a biology at Fordham University. And uh, they were asking her questions and the nun said, look, you're, you're wrong about the humanity of the unborn. She started to give them biological facts. And at the end, all they had to say was, well, of course you believe all that because you're a nun. So in other words, the, all these biological facts that she was giving were to be discredited simply because of where they came from or from her status. Mm -hmm. Because she was a Vatican II sect, now she dressed rather conservatively. She didn't have the full habit. She had that, like the half habit. And you can see that she was more on a conservative side, uh, definitely. But simply because of the fact that that's the official stance of the Catholic Church, therefore, uh, you must be discredited when talking about abortion because you must say it's wrong and everything is biased and you see how this is just fallacious thinking so i wanted to get that out of the way uh at the beginning because when i start talking about this uh the mindset that uh everything out there is not what it seems to be and you have to discredit something simply because of where it comes from it, it is not logical and, and it's going to uh and that's where a lot of these ideas come from by from people who are not thinking logically and who refuse to face facts that are indeed facts so well i i even had a on on the show maybe a year ago now we had on two historians traditional catholic historians one who's getting his phd in munich and you know they they gave you know their what you know the evidence that they have seen you know the guy in munich here he he's been in the archives and has seen the actual letters you know, from from these these priests and Catholics and others during the war. And, you know, of course, afterwards in the comments, it was that these guys are just brainwashed. And it's just, you know, so it's eventually it's like, I guess that that's what I would ask, too. You know, as we're getting going, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are already just turning this off. And that's fine. Turn it off. I mean, if you're turn it off, then, you know, but but if you're actually interested, if you actually want the truth, you know, if you actually want to know the truth about the Nazis and the Jews, etc., then then at the very least, just listen to this with an open mind. Don't just don't just think, you know, oh, I know this because I watched a YouTube video. That That's what I would ask. Just please hear it out. Listen to it. And then if you don't believe it or if you question it, go look it up yourself. I'm sure Andrew Abel would be perfectly fine <laughs> with you double checking his his um, his you know report here, I suppose. So, so so just keep a bit of an open mind. Don't don't panic. Don't get personal and just say, hey, hmm, maybe I'm wrong about some stuff. Oh, double and triple check. I, you know, I never offer conspiracy theories or, or, or nonsense or my ipsy dixit for what I'm saying. Uh, it's all based on things that can be researched, found out. Now, if you have a problem with the sources, that's another question, but I believe my sources are always sound. So please feel free to go and check anything that I'm about to say. I am limiting this talk to the following. There's many things that could be said about Adolf Hitler. Uh, for example, there's strong evidence that Adolf Hitler was a sodomite and a sexual deviant above and beyond that. I'm not going to get into that at all. 
All right. Uh, there's other strange theories about Adolf Hitler, which I find have no basis in fact. For example, uh, there's a lot of movies based on this too. The, the you know the late Raiders of the Lost Ark is all based on the Nazi occult connection. Now there's some truth to what they said, but of course there's artistic license, and some of the artistic license I have found personally in my research, nothing that would substantiate uh, Hitler having or looking for the spear that pierced our Lord's side and opened up his sacred heart where blood and water um, came forth. I don't find that to be plausible. Uh, you know, if other evidence comes forward, I'll be sure to look it over and consider it and perhaps change my mind based on that. But as of now, I see no credible evidence for that. Uh, there's some very strange theories out there, which I will not touch at all. Uh, one that suggests that, uh, believe it or not, and this is true, I found it on several very uh, reliable um, sources, a couple of reliable books by uh, historians that said that, and again, they're debunking, they're not saying this is true, they're saying the, quite the opposite. There is, There are some people out there that hold that before the war was over, Adolf Hitler and some of his top Nazis escaped via rocket ship to the moon. <laughs> yes. And they're on the dark side of the moon. I kid you not. They're on the dark side of the moon, so they can never be seen. <laughs> and they're trying to rebuild civilization in some sort of pod or something up there. And they're going to come back to do what's right to the world. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Okay. See, I'm not getting into any of that. I, I have um, to say, though, that the idea that they escaped to Argentina is at least interesting because many Nazis did escape to South America that, that Hitler perhaps did and faked his own death. That that I, I think it's I think it's 99 percent, you know, not not the case, but um, intriguing, intriguing, at least. Yeah. Yes. Boys from Brazil. I mean, that was very intriguing that they tried to, is it nature? Is it nurture? Can we make another Adolf Hitler? I mean, that was, that was very interesting. Yeah, I agree with you, but I'm staying away from all of that. And I'm going to, uh, and I'm now going to begin on, um, I had to do all that because again, it is such a touchy topic. I wanted to make sure I made myself very clear and I hope that I have up to this point. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I'm going to, the first question we should ask ourselves, was Hitler Catholic? Now, Adolf Hitler, born in 1889 and died in 1945, uh, is, was indeed a baptized Catholic. That is a fact. All right. But when you say, is he Catholic, uh, most, uh, simply being baptized in the faith is not enough. Did he practice the faith? Um, did, he, uh, you know, did he live the Catholic faith? And the answer to that is a huge no. Both atheists and Nazi apologists like to claim he's Catholic, but for different reasons. Um, most will acknowledge he didn't practice the faith. Uh, people can make all the claims they want. The crux of the issue is whether or not the claims are backed up by sound reasoning and sufficient evidence. Now, one of the so-called new atheists, Dr. Richard Dawkins, a detestable human being who wrote the book, um, The God Delusion in 2006, all right, uh, enjoys quoting Adolf Hitler in support of atheism. And he says, quote, as late as 1941, he told his he he told his uh, he told his helper, uh, General Gerhard Engel, "quote I shall remain a Catholic forever." Unquote. And that was on the God Delusion, uh, page 274. All right. Now he did make that. By the way, that is verifiable. He did make that statement. I will remain a Catholic forever. But you also have to remember he made several other claims which go directly against that claim. He was saying what he needed to say. When you look at the big picture, he was saying what he needed to say in order to come across as a Christian to a country which was overwhelmingly Christian. And uh, so you, you can't, you have to look, did he really mean that? What did he mean by that? I'm going to get to that. So uh, why would Richard Dawkins care? Well, Richard Dawkins cares because he was a Catholic. And see, Catholic, people who believe in religion do horrible things, so you should be an atheist. You know, we could easily bring up the fact of Mao Zedong and other people and all the horror that they brought onto the world being atheist communists. Dawkins will keep away from that. So he was not a Catholic uh, by a long shot, Adolf Hitler. I mean, baptized Catholic, yes, but did he practice the faith? No. Um, even the God that he claimed to worship was not the historical Jesus Christ. Dawkins admits on page 276, Hitler oddly was always adamant, this is a quote, 
Hitler, oddly, was always adamant that Jesus himself was not a Jew, unquote. So why would the world's biggest anti-Semite worship a man born of a Jewish woman as God? And the answer is he didn't. All right. Now, uh, Richard Weikart, who's a, uh, who's a very, very um, uh, well-respected historian, uh, wrote the following. It is true that Hitler, quote, it is true that Hitler's public statements opposing atheism should not be given too much weight since they are obviously serving Hitler's political purposes to tar political opponents. However, in his private monologues, he likewise rejected atheism, providing further evidence that this was indeed his personal conviction. In July of 1941, he told his colleagues that humans do not really know where the laws of nature came from. He continued, thus people discovered the wonderful concept of the Almighty, whose rule they venerate. We do not want to train people in atheism. He then maintained that every person has a consciousness of what we call God. This God was apparently not the Christian God preached in the churches. However, since Hitler continued, in the long run, National Socialism and the church cannot continue to exist together. The monologue confirms that Hitler rejected atheism, but also underscores the vagueness of his conception of God. While confessing faith in an omnipotent being of some sort, however, Hitler denied we can know anything about it, it. Despite his suggestion that God is inscrutable and unfathomable, Hitler did sometimes claim to know something about the workings of providence. Perhaps more significantly, he had complete faith that providence had chosen him to lead the German people to greatness. And that was from the book, Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich, published in, page, uh, published in the year 2016. So, Hitler here is showing himself that he's not, uh, he is not an atheist, but he certainly is not a theist in the traditional sense of the word either. And his, his, his actions and his, his statements, other than the cherry-picked ones that we just heard from Dawkins, will bear that out. See, they will not say, for example, here's another couple of good quotes from Adolf Hitler that show that later on. Uh, he said... And this is a quote from Adolf Hitler. It's taken from Inside the Third Reich, written by uh, Albert Speer on page 115. It was published in the year 1969. And I quote, this is Adolf Hitler. You see, it's been our misfortune to have the wrong religion. Why didn't we have the religion of the Japanese who regards sacrifice for the fatherland as the highest good? The Mohammedan religion, well, it's Islam he's talking about, too, would have been more compatible to us than Christianity. Why did it have to be Christianity with its meekness and flabbiness, unquote? So we see here that, you know, it, that's another good, uh, another thing that we need to uh, keep in mind is that Adolf Hitler and the Axis, the, the three countries, okay, we see the Mussolini and Hitler, we can kind of see why they would be together, but why are you bringing in the pagan Japanese with the Shinto religion and emperor worship? So that, that you have to remember that too. Why would he do that? Why would he align himself with somebody who's truly Catholic, align himself True. with that kind of a government? I think the answer is axiomatic on that one. Again, we have another quote from Adolf Hitler. Now, what he did uh, do in Germany was start something called positive Christianity, quote unquote, positive Christianity. And that is basically uh, his version of the Vatican II sect. It's when all forms of, Christianity would go down to the lowest common denominator and would be sub subservient to the state. <laughs> and he said in 1942, the speeches of Adolf Hitler, uh, the collected speeches of Adolf Hitler, uh, he said the following, and I quote, the party, the Nazi party, as such stands for positive Christianity, but does not bind itself in the matter of creed to any particular confession. Now, people who make these claims and align themselves with Shintoism, uh, you're not Catholic. Right. And, and you're not even Christian in the broadest sense uh, that people use it today. So that is, that's off the table. That's ridiculous. He was not uh, a, a Catholic at all. Now, Hitler's beliefs were based on a blend of scientism, that science is all there is, and also uh, border science or scientific occultism. And that's science-based occult practice. That's a contradiction in terms. But uh, 
that's uh for example i could give examples of today people who um occultists who practice for example feng shui reiki healing all right and and uh bergoglio submitting himself to a reiki practitioner who's a taoist pagan monk those types of things they claim that by energy manipulation uh they can make all kinds of wonderful things happen for you uh, that that monk to whom uh, Bergoglio submits himself, or he had in the past for a long time, uh, claimed that he would live to be 140 years old, that Bergoglio would live because of his energy manipulation. There's no scientific evidence whatsoever, look for it, that people have chakras, that there's auras, and the energy can be manipulated and cure you of all these ailments. There's none. It is, it is occultism, uh, posing as science. I could go into a lot of different things too. That uh, you know, feng shui. If you if you have your house and its furniture set up in a certain way, you're going to be feeling better. You're going to have more energy. These ideas are not based in science. And again, I I dare anyone to bring me peer-reviewed uh, medical literature or scientific uh, medical literature that shows any kind of correlation between uh, you know positioning your furniture and how you're going to uh, be become healthy. That's simply not science. Uh, no matter how hard they try to say that it is, saying it doesn't make it so. So um, this is what Hitler believed in. And uh, one of the uh, best researchers out there that I have found um, is uh, a man by the name of Eric Kurlander. And if you read his tome, I think that's the best single volume you can ever find on the occult and Adolf Hitler. Now, um, again, the Nazi apologists who are out there are saying that the Nazis are the good guys because, and simply where this basically comes from is because they were anti-communists and they got bad press because of Jewish conspiracies behind every door. Um, you know, I actually uh, knew a young man, believe it or not, he wanted to be a traditionalist priest, entered the seminary, left to go to Eastern Orthodoxy, left Eastern Orthodoxy to become uh, a neo-Nazi. I mean, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that's going on. And all because he bought into this idea of um, this huge conspiracy, this huge Jewish conspiracy out there, uh, which is simply, I'm sorry, but it's nuts. Um, I knew a man from church. This man was a traditionalist. He was married. Uh, in the 1970s, Society of St. Pius X. He's a certificatist. Um, and I found out later on um, that for a while in the 90s, he was an atheist. And I, I actually, yeah, I said, how? And when he came back to the faith, I said, you know, how could you fall for atheism? And his answer to me was, see, he thought that Christianity was a, a Jewish conspiracy to overthrow the Roman Empire turned the other cheek and it made them weak and that's how it came to be <laughs> and so this is where those those types of ideas can lead you it led him into atheism and thankfully he had the grace to come back so just as pope Pius XI famously said no one can be at the same time a sincere catholic and a true socialist there's a mutually exclusive stance between being a true catholic a traditionalist catholic and being a nazi now the scholarly work that i'm talking about uh, by Professor Eric Kurlander is entitled Hitler's Monsters. It was published by Yale, Yale University Press in 2017. The subtitle declares it is a supernatural history of the Third Reich. And anyone who's claiming to be Christian flirting with the idea of Nazism should have this book to read. It's about 300 pages long with myriad footnotes. Well worth the time to read it. Well worth. This is the serious work of a serious scholar. All right. And uh, this is where I'm going to be taking most of my, informa my information. Now, for example, in Kurlander's book, he talks about uh, there was, uh, there was a uh, letter circulating which said the following. We want to, we want, this is coming from the SS. We want in no way to deny there are things which are invisible to our natural faculties. We also do not want to oppose a science that occupies itself with research on such matters. What we reject unequivocally is any obvious swindle that is based on deception and exploitation of stupidity and therefore constitutes criminal activity. 
provided that the occult doctrine of practitioner was sufficiently scientific in character, scientific being put in quotes, the Third Reich appeared reluctant to carry out any police action. There's an idea that they, the, uh, you know, there is true that there was, um, you know, the Hitler at one point wanted the occult removed, but it's actually not true. He didn't want the occult removed, only those who were not sufficiently scientific in character. Now, how you can be scientific and occult, as I said, it's a contradiction in terms, but it had to have some sort of a, an alleged scientific backing to it. So hence the German Society for Scientific Occultism negotiated the first few years of the Third Reich fairly easily. They got through it pretty well. So did the major astrological associations and journals. Were not banned, but actually promoted. They were allowed to police themselves in terms of practicing so-called scientific occultism, provided they promised to stop publishing horoscopes of the Nazi leaders. And Hitler sent a note of thanks to the president of the German Astrological Association, Herbert Korsch, K-O-R-S-C-H, for organizing the 1935 Astrologist Conference taking place in Germany. And that's from uh, Hitler's Monsters, page 102-103. So Hitler only mentioned being Catholic once in the quote by Dawkins, and a couple of other times I've seen him mention Christianity. But Hitler also wrote of gods and goddesses, proving if all of his religious utterances are to believe literally that he was a polytheist. The gods are referred to in Mein Kampf, quote, the manifestations of decay showed only the gods had willed Austria's destruction. That's in volume one, chapter three. And there are references to goddesses as well, to the goddess of suffering in volume one, chapter two, and the goddess of destiny, volume one, chapter five. There is even a goddess of eternal justice and retribution, which Hitler allegedly believed in. So that, if we are to take everything at face value, and including those other, other quotes, oh, what do we believe about him? So you can't take one or two cherry-picked quotes. He was indeed a, uh, he was anti-Catholic. He was anti-Christian. He was a promoter of the occult as long as it was scientifically based or had some scientific reference to it. All right. And that's what he did indeed believe in. Now, uh, and publicly, Hitler uh, pushed what was deemed positive Christianity, which I explained before. And it's a term that he used, it was in published on point 24 of the 1920 Nazi party platform. And it says, quote, that uh, point 24 says, the party, meaning the Nazi party, of course, as such represents the viewpoint of positive Christianity without binding itself to any particular denomination, unquote. So the new Nazi idea of positive Christianity allayed the fears of Germany's Christian majority by implying the Nazi movement was not anti-Christian. That said, in 1937, Hans Kerl, K-E-R-R-L, the Reich Minister for Church Affairs, explained that, quote, positive Christianity was not dependent upon the Apostles' Creed, <laughs> nor was it dependent on your faith in Christ as the Son of God, upon which Christianity relied. Rather, it represented the Nazi party. The Fuhrer is the herald of the new revelation, he said. And that's from William Schreier's book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, A History of Nazi Germany, published in 1960. You can find that on pages 238 and 239. So the Nazis used this border science or occultism that parades as science. And as uh, historian Kurlander says on page 133 of his book, despite the continuing difficulties of being recognized as pioneers by, by mainstream science, some border areas of the science had gained recognition in the Third Reich. These included so-called scientific astrology, the study of cosmic rays and parapsychological phenomena like apparitions, telepathy, and clairvoyance. In order for this promising trend to continue, it was recommended that occultists dispense with phrases like parascientific and paranormal in favor of border areas and border science. It was better to couch one's experiments in an epistemology of science, they insisted, than to traffic openly in spiritualism esoteric teachings and esoteric lodge activities that could not be proven. So that was what they were doing. And the irony is that the evidence indicating an important link between Nazism and the supernatural has never been greater. In the mid-1920s, Hitler almost certainly read Ernest uh, Schertzel's parapsychological tome entitled Magic, History, Theory, Practice, and underlining sentences as, quote, Satan is the fertilizing, destroying, constructing warrior, unquote. Uh, 
and, quote, he who does not carry demonic scenes within him will never give birth to a new world. Okay. Now, there is there are some who claim that Adolf Hitler was demonically possessed. Now, Father DePoe had told me that in 1942, he was in uh, his brother, his older brother, Father Adamar, who was a Franciscan priest. They, uh, his brother was in contact with high-ranking churchmen at the time. He was actually sent by, uh, his brother was actually sent because he was a Franciscan, his older brother, to check on the activities of the Pope Pius, uh, check on the activities of Padre Pio under Pope Pius XII. So he was given various interesting assignments and he knew very many high-ranking church officials to whom Father DePaul would become acquainted with later. Uh, 1942, Father DePaul had just been ordained to the priesthood. And it was rumored, again, there's no substantiation for this other than what he had told me and what it was written to him by his brother. Uh, his brother's letter had told that there was going to be uh, an attempted, quote unquote, long distance exorcism of Adolf Hitler in St. Peter's, uh, in, in a certain out of the way part of St. Peter's Basilica with Pope Pius XII and some of the top exorcists and cardinals in Rome. Um, whether or not that took place, I don't know. Uh, Father claimed, he says, I don't know either. He said, but I believe it's a definite and a distinct possibility. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting point about, uh, you know, what could have happened. And obviously if it, uh, if it took place, sadly to say it didn't work. So, uh, there is an idea that Hitler may have been possessed, but, uh, I, I don't see it. I think he did the devil's bidding. But I don't think whether he was actually physically demonically possessed, um, the jury's out. And I'm kind of inclined to think just every evil person, I mean, every satanic, every demonically possessed person is going to do evil. But not everyone who does evil is going to be demonically possessed. So you have to be careful on, on that one. So I'm not convinced of that yet. Um, but definitely the idea was out there as early as 1942. Well, I know I've seen um, that he was also on a cocktail of drugs. I mean, he was just being pumped full of all sorts of different stuff. I think, especially by the by the end, you know, by the nineteen forty five or so. And I know there's even rumors um, that his doctor was trying to um, poison him or trying to to uh, kill him to get him out of the way. Uh, another kind of an interesting side topic, but but I think so. When you see videos of of Hitler kind of doing this crazy motions and stuff. Yeah, sure. Okay, maybe it could be possession, but I, my opinion is, it's much more likely either he had some form of disease or he was just totally high on something. I tend to agree. I agree with you, Kevin. I don't think it was. Uh, it was now. Was he an evil man, and was he doing Satan's work? Yes. Right. But you can do that without necessarily the actual demon possession. So yeah, well, I agree with you. Now, Kurlander also reveals how the Nazis held a séance. On the night of February 26, 1933, using a clairvoyant named Eric Hannesen, H-A-N-U-S-S-E-N, who quote-unquote predicted the next day Reichstag fire, which helped justify the Nazi imposition of martial law. Uh, Deputy Fuhrer Rudolf Hess uh, sponsored himself. He was deeply into the occult, as was Himmler. He, uh, astrology, cosmobiology, and esoteric medieval practices. Uh, Heinrich Himmler encouraged research on the Holy Grail, uh, the uh, chalice used by Christ at the Last Supper. He also, believe it or not, you know, they were actually were looking into, uh, it was actually a department, Nazi department that was collecting as much material as they could on witchcraft hmm. and uh, on medieval devil worship. That was done. So these occult views and heretical conception of God held by Hitler are incompatible with Catholicism. On March 14, 1937, Pope Pius XI issued his encyclical letter on the Church and the German Reich. Um, as I'm not a, a uh, German speaker, I'm not going to try to uh, mit, butcher mit, the... Mit uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> his words prove more true than ever, and great evidence has been brought forth confirming his every contention. In paragraph number seven, His Holiness writes as follows, quote, The believer in God is not he who utters his, the name and speech, but he for whom this sacred word stands for the true and worthy concept of the divinity. Whoever identifies by pantheistic confusion, God and the universe, by either lowering God to the dimensions of the world or raising the world to the dimensions of God, is not a believer in God. 
Whoever follows that so-called pre-Christian Germanic conception of substituting a dark and impersonal destiny for the personal God denies thereby wisdom and providence of God who, quote, reacheth from end to end mightily and ordereth all things sweetly. That's taken from the Book of Wisdom. Neither is he a believer in God, unquote. Now, that was a direct reference to Adolf Hitler mm -hmm. and the Nazis and what they were believing. So Hitler's belief in occult practices and promotion of positive Christianity with a nebulous conception of God are clearly condemned. He also refers to gods and goddesses. Paragraph 9 of Pope Pius XI's encyclical reads as follows, quote, Beware, venerable brethren, of that growing abuse in speech as in writing, of the name of God as though it were a meaningless label, to be affixed to any creation, more or less arbitrary of human speculation. Use your influence on the faithful that they may that they refuse to yield to this aberration. Our God is the personal God, supernatural, omnipotent, infinitely perfect, one in the trinity of persons, tripersonal in the unity of divine essence, the creator of all existence, Lord, King, and ultimate consummator of the history of the world, who will not and cannot tolerate a rival God by his side." Unquote. So we can see again, this entire conception of the Nazis is again condemned outright. Um, the Nazi party has incorporated occultism from the very beginning. Uh, the political party that would eventually become the Nazi party, or the German Workers' Party, which preceded it, was founded uh, from individuals from the Thule Society, an esoteric group dedicated to studying the mythological origins of the Aryan race. Hmm. Several prominent Nazis were either members or active within the society, and they include Ru Rudolf Hess, uh, Alfred Rosenberg, and Dietrich Eckhart. So you see the top ranking Nazis were indeed into the occult. And the Thule Society's primary focus was on the study of Arasafi, uh, referring to the wisdom regarding the Aryans founded by occultist Guido von List and uh, von Liebenfels. These individuals' beliefs would come to inform significant aspects of the Nazi state, such as von List's belief in a power of magical runes. And a lot of times there were, uh, you know, um, uh, the Nazis would consult astrology and runes before making decisions. So there again, those are, that's divination. Those are occult practices. So uh, all of these things are clearly condemned by the church, by the Bible. It's, it's completely occult. The Nazis were occult. And it, an interesting thing that I found too, as it gets stranger and stranger, one thing that is true, and I found enough supporting evidence for it, was that, believe it or not, Hitler uh, and his high-ranking staff believed in the existence of werewolves. <laughs> now, where does this come from? Well, lycanthropy, which is the, the, the name given to werewolves or the idea of a man changing into a beast, um, it was prevalent in pagan Germany prior to, uh, you know, its, its uh, conversion to Christianity. And uh, belief in the ability to transform into an animal had been speculated and associated with the Third Reich, which employed uh, the concept of the werewolf ubiquitously. As a matter of fact, um, is, uh, Hitler's headquarters was known as uh, Wolf's Lair. Mm -hmm. That's how you say Wolf Shanza, I believe it's pronounced. Yep. Uh, that's Wolf Slayer. That, that's where he was because he considered himself more like a wolf. Interestingly, uh, they th this idea that they wanted the idea of being, uh, the idea of transforming into something else was something that appealed to them and made them superior. I found also this belief in um, in werewolves, believe it or not, uh, from someone else within the, well, uh, who was a big player at Vatican II, Malachi Martin. Hmm. Now, Malachi Martin, I, I still have the tape, which I recorded when I was a kid. It, it took place, I actually stayed home. My parents actually let me stay home from school because they begged and pleaded for like a week. Father DePaul was going to be on the air on uh, the Sherry Henry show. Uh, this was in the year 1983. It was on February 2nd, I'm going to give you the exact date. And uh, he was invited. Sherry Henry was a very liberal woman. Don't get me wrong. 
Uh, she was a modernist, but I will say this about her. I will say this about her. She was very fair, very fair. She would take a topic. It didn't have to be on religion. It could be on a, politics and religion was like usually what she did. Mm -hmm. um, but there were other topics as well. What she would do is that she would get someone who was a, a very intelligent believer on one side and a very intelligent believer on the other side and kind of have like this um, moderated debate going on on her show. And it, it was pretty interesting. So this topic was on the 1983 Code of Canon Law. Hmm. And so she asked Father DeBoer, being a canon lawyer, being a canonist from pre-Vatican II, uh, and she had written an article that was actually published by him uh, denouncing it and uh, everything it incorporated. So she asked him, would he come on and argue against it? Because it was going into effect in November of that year, 1983. And uh, he said, of course. He says, I'll come down, you know, uh, and I'll defend it on the radio. And she says, well, you're going to be going up against someone else. You know, I'm bringing in a very other, a very uh, educated priest to oppose you. And he says, I'm not worried about that. You bring in whoever you like. She goes, well, it's it's uh, Father Malachi Martin. <laughs> so Father had known Malachi Martin from his days in the council. Uh -huh. They never directly met. He says, but we crossed paths several times. And he goes, and I was shocked she was, you know, he's, I call him the chameleon because he would always adapt to whatever situation he was in. Uh, his true colors, uh, I, I don't believe he was on our side at all. That's my opinion. I have good reasons for believing that. Right. Um, well, he was on the show. So Sherry Henry introduces Father DePaul. Uh, she did a very nice introduction. He goes on. She gave him 15 minutes. He goes on to why the code of canon. He goes into why the canon law is completely wrong, heretical, et cetera, et cetera. And then after she goes, all right. Uh, she goes, uh, Malachi Martin, you now have 15 minutes. He goes, well, I have nothing to rebut. I agree with everything with Father DePaul just said. <laughs> and it, it, Father DePaul's mind, my jaw dropped. And so did her. She was just standing. She goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, that's right. And he, he would never oppose anybody. Like for whatever reason, he said that Father Paul was right. And then when they took phone calls, both of them were bashing any caller that came in saying that the Code of Canon Law was good. Huh. So he told he told me afterwards. He says, you know, I thought I was going to meet a very intelligent uh, priest who would oppose me, but I found an even more intelligent priest who, who agreed with me. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I would love to hear that. That would be very interesting to see Father DePaul's. Um arguments against the 1983 code of canon law that'd be very fascinating to hear well oh yeah uh, i'd be happy to tell you about that one I, like i said i still have it to this day i recorded cool. it on my little wow. rusty tape recorder at that time <laughs> but the reason i'm bringing all this up is this malachi martin would also like he, he had all these outlandish beliefs as well and one of them was he was on the art bell show if you know the old art bell show you're talking about ufos sure. and all this kind of and he was on there saying that uh he, you know, he had the ability, he could tell when somebody was a murderer because he would see two little demons on either side of him. And I'm like, okay. So I actually wrote away and got the transcript of the show because I wanted to make sure I was really hearing what I thought I was hearing. And it was. They asked him, so a, a caller came and he says, well, do you believe in werewolves? And he said, yes. <laughs> and he goes, yes. He says, you know, uh, lycanthropy can you be used for good or for evil. And I'm like, okay, it sounds like a wacky Netflix series, you know, a werewolf that uses his powers for good or evil. Right. And, but this, and there was a lot of other things that the things that he was saying was all occult. And that goes along that there's a big occult fascination with werewolves. And Kurlander agrees in his book that Hitler was indeed fascinated by lycanthropy, believed in lycanthropy, as did his top lieutenants. And so when we put all of this together, we see a picture of the Nazis, uh, not as Catholics, not as people who were going to promote the church, not as people who didn't persecute priests, uh, you know, who thought well of Jesus Christ and his one true church, or, or at least the historical person of Jesus Christ. We see occultists, occultists who were deeply involved in occult practices, who wanted to put into place positive Christianity, a heretical conception whereby you don't have need to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. It is not attached to the Apostles' Creed. It's just a Christian in name only whereby you would be subservient to the state. 
This is what Adolf Hitler stood for. This is what his top-ranking lieutenants stood for. It is a cult through and through. They are not the friends of the church. They are not heroes. And yes, they were murderers. And I don't hesitate. People took me, you can't call him a murderer. Well, I just did. He is. You want to sue me? Go ahead. He's a murderer. And he was a mass murderer. And he was evil, evil, evil man. Right up there with Joseph Stalin and and all the rest of them, uh, all the rest of the despots who were killing Mao Zedong, another evil mass murderer. These are all evil people. The, The imperial Japanese, evil pagan mass murderers. This is the reality. Whether or not people are going to accept that or not, it's up to them. But, you know, uh, it it makes traditionalists look wacky, to say the least. When you start going around saying Adolf Hitler was a great guy and a friend of the church and challenging the narrative, and you've got these young people on X doing that all the time. But this is what what they have. And they have people out there defending uh, uh, these occult evil people. Now, I'm not getting into any of the other stuff like I said I would. I'm just sticking with... If you think that putting a book written by a mass murderer, Mein Kampf, who was also an occultist, and putting it on your nightstand next to the sacred heart of Jesus, that is an affront to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his one true church and everything to which the God-man stood for. That is evil. That is wrong. You might as well put the satanic Bible there. It is wrong. And that is my take on Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and the occult. No, it's it, good as always. I mean, I, it, what I always love about you is you, you, you really do your research. You really pull out the quotes from from the man himself. And so I guess I would ask you two questions. And I mean, and, and I don't obviously expect you to have the answer. But the first one is, why do you think, what, what is it that attracts Gen Z especially to this idea? What Why do they crave... And I know you kind of explained it with, you know, they, it's the whole matrix. You know, they think nothing's real. But there seems like there's got to be something almost, I don't know, psychological or emotional that they're they're searching for something to believe in. And to me, I've always found that really bizarre because, well, I mean, you're Catholic. Isn't that enough to I mean, why, why are you searching for something to believe in? I mean, I mean, you have something. You have Christ. You have the saints. You, you think you need Hitler? Well, yeah, that's an excellent question, Kevin. And I thought about that myself. Uh, my my uh, musings on it would just be this. Uh, I think when I grew up, okay, you know, I grew up in the, uh, just before the council ended, okay, and uh, it, it, there was a lot more st- ideological stability in the world, for lack of a better uh, term. In other words, you know, you had the true, you, you had at least some of, the teachings of the Catholic Church left, and definitely my parents, their generation, knew the Catholic Church. We were brought up with definite beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Father Paul used to say it uh, all the time, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. <laughs> uh, G.K. G- G- Chesterton said the same. He said, uh, the problem with those who uh, don't believe in God is not that they believe in nothing, but they'll believe in anything. Mm-hmm. And here, I think, is where the problem... For, the problem lies again i'm going back to vatican ii is that in today's society way removed now way removed from the end of the council okay is that uh if you're a traditionalist and were raised traditionalist i don't find anyone who was raised traditionalist to be in this camp now this is in my personal experience uh god knows i can be wrong and i've been wrong before but in my personal experience people who are raised that way like, I don't believe that your your children, Kevin, will ever go that way because you're raising them in the truth and this is their rock that they can depend upon. Mm-hmm. What I do find is that people who convert, these are Gen Zs who convert because they haven't had what you've been blessed to have when I was blessed to convert to, which is the true faith. Uh, one of two things will happen to these that I find out. They will go to... Uh, born-again Christian-type churches because uh, that is, they give definitive answers. Um, They will go to um, extreme political movements. Uh, If they they are not so inclined, they'll substitute politics with religion. And sometimes they will mix the two. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
there's a lot of them. They're not Seder Vicantists because they're convinced by the theology because they think it's extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, what's well, extreme, you know, and, and that makes me special. And so what, what, what else is extreme? Well, politically, let's, oh, Adolf Hitler, he was a good guy. And I think that's this need, the psychological need for extremism, um, which is begun by the search for absolute answers. You don't get absolute answers in the Vatican II sect. I mean, the, the, it differs not only from diocese to diocese, but from parish to parish in the same diocese and from priest to priest in the same parish, if they even have a parish priest anymore, because there's so few of them left. So when you have, you know, blessings of sodomites and all this other things uh, going on, this this moral and religious relativism that's rampant, uh, they look for extremes and sometimes they link up. And that's how you get someone converting. Well, this sounds extreme. Let me be a state of a continent. Or when this sounds extreme, let me be a, a you know, a, a Hitler apologist. And that's where I think it comes from, at least in part. No, that, that makes sense. So I guess my, my last question, and again, I don't expect you to have an answer, but it'd be, how how should we treat people like this? I mean, what should our actions be? Because it's one of those things that we do need to, of course, be charitable to everyone at all times, as Christ tells us. But I think that there is an issue, and I think you mentioned it earlier, that when you have someone, especially publicly, you know, a group of people who are saying, hey, you know, we're traditional Catholics. And, um, you know, I guess we're a fairly small group, growing, but 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 small. And then you see a... a decent portion of this group of people have wacky ideas. I think it's a problem. I, I, I think it's enough of a problem that I really wonder what we should do. Like, it's like, do we, do we just say, Hey, look, you know what, knock it off. Or you're just, uh, you're, you're first of all, obviously you can block them on Twitter and stuff, but I mean, I, let's, let's go a little bit farther. Let's say that it's, it's someone in your parish and you know that they are pro Nazi or whatever. Um, is that something that it's, I feel like we need to be a little more proactive and maybe that's taking them under our arms and saying, Hey, look, man, you got to get past this. You know, let, let me teach you a little bit. You know, here, here's some information, here's some books, read these. And if they can't get past that, I think we got to take a little bit, I, we got to be a little harder on these people. I think. I agree. You know, um, you have to uh, charitably approach them. First of all, you know, uh, it, they, they must be saying something about that. I'll give you an example. There was someone who I knew where I was going to church, um, obviously traditionalist. Uh, that's all I've been since the age of 16. Uh, and we used to call, we used to call, it was, it was almost, a, it was a running, we used to call him Adolf because he couldn't go more than two sentences without saying something about Jewish people. Mm-hmm something negative and uh and it came back to this wacky idea that you know adolf hitler was right and so um we approached him and uh, there was a couple of us that approached him and it was like you know this really is not the right thing to be saying and we tried to explain why and you know i, I gave him a couple of books to look at and whether or not he did i don't know but when he kept doing that uh the next best thing to do was to refer him to the priest which i did uh, I, I said this is very uncomfortable in this situation where he's going around saying these things. And uh, I guess Father spoke to him because after contact was made, he left. Mm-hmm. So whatever became of him, I don't know. But I think you need to, p- to point these people out and to do the best we can. Because you're right, they do make us look wacky. They make us look, you know, I, they do make us look like, uh, I hate to say it, but like some fringe cult. Yeah. I mean, we have enough people out there calling us fringe cults. I mean, Southern Poverty Law Center has us as a hate group. Right. I mean, right. you know, we're out there called hate. We have enough going on without people from within our ranks, yeah. you know, making us look like, you know, and again, I have no problem. For example, somebody wants to believe that the, you know, the earth is the geocentrism. The earth is, I don't have a problem with it. As long as you don't tell me it's a dogma. Right. Which I have people saying that. Well, you have to. No, I don't have to believe that. Right. And it was never defined by the church. These strange ideas, you know, you know, you want to believe that Elvis is still alive, you know, right. go ahead. Right. You know, you can, you can believe that. It's, it's, it's not, you know, there's nothing in the church that says that you can't believe it. But don't tell me, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, for an Elvis dogma that I have to believe in that. And that's the problem, you know, that they present these beliefs 
uh, you know, that are that are immoral. It's immoral to say that Adolf Hitler was a great guy against the credible weight, uh, the ma- the manifest weight of the credible evidence. Right. You know, he's a good guy. He's not. You know, you tell me Pope Pius XI wrote that because he was a good guy. Uh, you have to be strong on these people, and you have to. I once Father Dupont actually, uh, we had one guy there who was uh, starting to put out tracks. This is prior to the, uh, uh, you know, Fred and Bobby Diamond. Who was uh, was putting out uh, you know these these Feeney tracks written by um, Father James Wathen, mm-hmm. and uh, I told Father DePaul right away. He called the man in the very next Sunday, and said, uh, told him point blank, that is heretical. He says, uh, you know, you are not allowed. Uh, you have to stop disseminating these tracks. You have to stop speaking like that. And you're going to have to go to confession. And if you can't do that, I'm going to have to ask you not to come here anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, he came, but he never again said nothing. Hopefully he went and made a good confession, which I'm sure that he did because father wouldn't have taken him without it. So that had a good ending to it. Right. This was a guy who ever so reluctantly, um, uh, you know, gave up uh, preaching and uh, hopefully within his heart, believing in, in Feneism. And hopefully, you know, well, this guy went away, this Nazi guy. Um did he go away because he's he's hardened his heart? Maybe, but you know what's what's the alternative? Uh, letting him stay there and spread this nonsense. And like I said, I, there was a man who lost his became an atheist. You know, over this weird idea that um, Christ was some sort of a Jewish conspiracy. Right. And thankfully, God led him back to the true church, and he's practicing again. And every once in a while, I, you know, I, I really don't have. Uh, he moved away. I don't have any. Uh, real contact with him anymore but once in a while i'd have to remind him i said he would come up with one of these wacky ideas and said you remember where that led you right and he just kind of like shut up at that point you look at me like nod his head like yeah you're right maybe i better rethink this so it had a good effect Uh, it it does have a good in charity absolutely but you have to be strong and because if you're not going to be strong what's going to happen is that these ideas will embed themselves and disrupt the the faith and the practice of, of traditionalist Catholics who are really trying to live the faith. And um, I agree with you. We, we need to take a hardest stance for the sake of the faith itself, for the sake of their soul and for the sake of the faith itself. Exactly. Well, and I'd say too, I mean, if you're one of these young guys, I mean, go, go you know, if you have a fringe idea that you got probably from the internet, maybe from a group of friends that are probably your age, I would, I would highly, highly suggest go and talk to a priest. First of all, I think that's, that's the best case because they are typically trained in, in, you know, in moral theology and philosophy, et cetera. But also, Hey, go find an older guy in your parish and they're not all going to have the answer. So maybe, maybe that's not the right answer, but at least it's someone else to talk to who's going to have different opinions. That's at least a start because I think so many of these ideas come from just random yeah, X posts or YouTube videos that are just truly nonsense. So I think if you talk with just someone, find someone you respect who's older than you and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or a priest. That That's that's your that's your number one option. I'd say go to, talk to the priest. Father, I've been really, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure about, you know, Nazism, you know, and, and, and the, all the Jewish questions, all these things. And talk to your priest about it. And I guarantee you, he will set you on the right path. Intrigable. I, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, I hope people stayed until the end for this. Um, people who are, you know, at least on the, perhaps, you know, on, on the edge of, of believing some of this stuff. And, and um, we appreciate all the work that you do and putting in, in the time to, to research this stuff. Because again, that that's, that's a big part of it too, that, that I think that we, we really our generation, I should say my generation, the generations below me really have lost the respect for research you know for for the work we just think okay you know i watched this thing and now i know well no that that, that's that's not how it works you know i mean and it's it's really the ultimate pride and arrogance too right that i mean knowledge is 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 something that that is accumulated over over so much time and effort and work and it's something that that the people of these times just just really truly don't understand so i'd say again if you're if you're interested in this stuff put in the work read the material and um yeah find someone with a little bit of wisdom who can set you on the right path. Intro Ebo, as always, again, go everyone go check him out. Intro Ebo, adulterarydei2.blogspot.com. Um, weekly material, which is always, always fantastic. We will definitely have him on again in the future to cover other occultism topics or 
hey, maybe something else. Maybe we'll we'll talk about you know maybe some more Father DePaul stories, which are always fascinating to me. I, we've 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 had a couple times now that he's come up um, in a podcast, and I'm just riveted by by Father DePaul stories. So we 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 have a an interview just about him, but I, I'd love to do one again to cover other details. Um, of, of this just incredible priest. Anyway, long-winded uh, intro, Ibo. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you.